0: Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Institute for Healthcare Improvements Author-in-the-Room conference call. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. Later, we will conduct a question-and-answer session. Please note that this conference is being recorded. I would now like to introduce your moderator for today's call, Dr. Chuck Kylo. Dr. Kylo is CEO of Greenfield Health in Portland, Oregon, a fellow with the Institute for Healthcare Improvement, and a practicing internist. Dr. Kylo, you may go ahead.
1: Thank you very much, Kim. I appreciate it. And welcome, everybody. Uh, Welcome once again to Author in the Room, a monthly program sponsored by JAMA, the Journal of the American Medical Association, and IHI, the Institute for Healthcare Improvement. We are delighted that you could join us today. It's really going to be a wonderful author in the room. Uh, with the topic being extremely pertinent to uh, Author in the Room itself and why we've been doing these calls for the past two-and-a-half years. My name is Dr. Chuck Hylow, and I'll be your moderator for today's call. Um, As you know, Author in the Room calls were designed to translate new knowledge, what is published in a recent JAMA article, into actionable steps that can improve clinical practice and patient care. And typically we choose a uh, health services uh, study, a clinical study, That gives us insights into new directions for clinical management, and the calls are about how we take that new science and put it into practice. Today's call is a little bit different. Today's call uh, is about the article by Tony. Uh, Bonyasai on effectiveness of uh, teaching quality improvement to clinicians, a systematic review. And as everybody knows, this is really the uh, exact reason why we've been doing Author in the Room uh, from the beginning, is to think about how we get quality improvement uh, learning uh, teachings and methodologies more effectively into the clinical arena. So we're delighted to have uh, Tony join us today. Author in the Room Uh, calls occur on the third Wednesday of every month at 2 p.m. The next call is November 21st. We invite you to join us on that call. It is the day before Thanksgiving, uh, so we know it's a busy time, 2 o'clock on that day. But it's going to be a wonderful uh, article. Uh, The article is in uh, today's JAMA, October 17th. Uh, and the title is Invasive Methicillin-Resistant Staphylococcus Aureus Infections in the United States, so a very timely and pertinent topic. So please join us for that call. Uh, several organizations have made Author in the Room a regular part of their learning experience, and we certainly encourage you to do so. Today, again, our featured author is Dr. Tony Boniassai, and Tony is the first author of the article Effectiveness of Teaching Quality Improvements to Clinicians and uh, the September 5th uh, edition of JAMA. Tony has several distinctions, which I think are important. Number one, he is possibly uh, the youngest. He he is the youngest of all author in the room article uh, authors that we've had so far. So uh, that's a wonderful thing. Tony only recently finished his. Uh, his fellowship and he joined us now uh with this wonderful article that uh, he he wrote. I think also a uh, uh, an important distinction is probably if you print it off the article online it's probably the longest Jama article <laughs> that we've had possibly in the, in the history of Jama. The tables are quite extensive and uh, Tony won't review all of those for us but he will give us the the summary of those and uh, so it's it's just a delight and uh the third distinction is this possibly is the largest number of call in uh, lines that we have so far on an author in the room uh tony welcome Thank you, Chuck. Tony is a hospitalist at Bayview Medical Center in Baltimore. He's an instructor in medicine at Johns Hopkins School of Medicine. He received his medical degree at Mount Sinai School of Medicine in 1998 and completed a combined internal medicine and pediatric residency at Baylor College of Medicine-affiliated hospitals in 2002. After residency, he practiced internal medicine and pediatrics in the Midwest prior to joining a general internal medicine fellowship at uh, Johns Hopkins, where he also received his MPH. Uh Tony's uh research uh interest explore the influence of consumer and organizational behaviors on healthcare quality. Um as moderator, uh it's uh my job to help facilitate the conversation. We're going to start off by having uh Tony summarize his art- article. Uh and then we will move to a question and answer period. Uh, so uh it'll be about twenty minutes after the hour before we uh, open the lines for q and a so please make sure to write down your questions and answers and then Kim will give you instructions as to how to how to join the the uh, that part of the call uh, when the time comes. I want to stress how important your participation is in these calls. We look forward to your questions but also to your experiences uh and Uh, regards to uh, this topic, in particular, teaching of quality improvement techniques to clinicians. There are approximately 170 to 170 phone lines on right now with several individuals per call. Some members of the media may be present on a background basis also. One other note before we uh, turn to Tony for his summary. This call is being recorded and will be made available on the IHI and JAMA websites. Uh, and stream- streaming audio or podcast should you choose to download them. And you can go to both the JAMA and the IHI websites to uh, uh, to get those online uh, versions of the call. So once again, let me introduce Dr. Tony Bonasai, uh, who will provide an overview of his article. Tony?
2: Thanks, Chuck. And uh, good afternoon to everyone on this call. Uh, my off- my uh, co-authors and I are delighted to have this opportunity to discuss our, our article with you um it's it is a long article and <laughs> um we're uh, we're going to, i'm going to try to uh, briefly uh, touch the uh, the highlights in the next couple of minutes um I'll go through why we did the study uh briefly touched on the methods that we used and uh then spend the rest of the time summarizing as much as possible the uh, the key points that uh or at least what we feel are the key points of this uh, this review as some of you may know, a lot of uh, thought leaders in uh, healthcare and particularly uh, quality have argued that uh, physicians and nurses would be more engaged in their local quality improvement programs if they simply knew how to do it or uh, were more confident in in their skills for participating. Uh, additionally, teaching quality improvement concepts to medical trainees is now a requirement for residencies to uh, maintain their accreditation. Uh, this is uh, creates some some um, concern, however, because it's not entirely clear that uh, teaching quality improvement to clinicians is helpful, uh, and it's, it's um, also uncertain how it should most effectively be taught. So, with the sponsorship from the um, uh, Society of General Internal Medicine, my uh, colleagues and I uh, performed a systematic review to specifically answer two questions. First, we wanted to know whether teaching quality improvement to clinicians is effective. Second, We want to know if a curriculum's effectiveness is associated with the use of adult learning principles, such as having learners practice what they have learned, or with other curriculum features, such as providing access to quality improvement experts, or providing access to uh, um, data in a patient registry, for example. To perform this review, we searched multiple electronic databases and hand-searched key journals. And then we selected the uh, articles that um, for inclusion for review, using three major criteria. The first is that the article had to describe a curriculum in at least moderate detail, which had we had this curriculum, uh, we had this criterion uh, so that we would be able to draw out um, information on how well uh, the curriculum was taught or what strategies were used. Second, the curriculum had to teach quality improvement concepts in a generalizable way, such that learners could, in the future perform um, quality improvement projects independent of, um, of the faculty. So, for example, we didn't include curricula that only taught the guidelines for appropriate antibiotic use, uh, but we did include articles that taught learners methods for improving um, anti- appropriate antibiotic use using um, generalizable methods such as uh, how to develop a clinical reminder system or um, how to, uh, how to uh, set up a patient registry. Finally, the article had to describe the results of a comparative evaluation. That is, the evaluation had to measure either effects before and after the curriculum or it had to assess outcomes in both learners and non-learners. Using these criteria, we identified a total of 39 articles. These articles were quite heterogeneous and the uh, details were uh, varied greatly in terms of how quality improvement was taught and also how in terms of how the uh, curriculum effectiveness was assessed some of these uh, curricula taught only students and residents while others taught teams of practicing physicians nurses or other healthcare providers some of these curricula were standalone seminars lasting a few days while others were combinations of uh, didactic teaching with uh, mentored projects that um, that some of these projects would last uh, only a couple of weeks Still others were uh, quality improvement collaboratives, which uh, some of the listeners may be um, familiar with because the IHI sponsors a a large number of these collaboratives. Um, In a quality improvement collaborative, teams of practicing clinicians would get together to learn quality improvement methods. And then over the next uh, one to two years, they'd return to their home um, institutions where they would implement a quality improvement uh, project while intermittently coming back every uh, couple of weeks or couple of months to discuss the progress that they've made in um, implementing their projects, and also to learn from the um, successes and mistakes of uh, other learners. The uh, because the um, well the results uh, that were described in these uh, articles were also uh, quite heterogeneous, and um, about a third. Uh, had reported educational outcomes such as changes in attitudes, knowledge, or behaviors, while just over two-thirds described changes in a variety of clinical process measures or patient outcomes. An example of a clinical process measure might be uh, the rate of adherence to clinical guidelines in an institution or uh, changes in uh, patients' um, uh, biomarkers such as uh, changes in LDL levels or hemoglobin A1C values. Uh, given the uh, heterogeneity of the article, uh, there was quite a lot to uh, describe and may explain why um, our uh, our tables were so extensive, and, and to some extent we're grateful to, uh, to JAMA for um, providing us uh, an, uh, the ability to uh, to um, publish this online. Um, but in the interest of time, what I'll do in the next couple of minutes is describe the main aggregate results of these articles, while giving some examples of specific programs that highlight patterns uh, that we think explain why some of these curricula uh, were successful and others were not. I'll be happy to go into uh, more details about uh, any specific curriculum um, in the question and answer portion of this call. So to answer our first question, how effective is uh, teaching quality improvement to clinicians? Collectively, the uh, the articles that describe changes in attitudes, knowledge, or behaviors suggest that uh, when we teach quality improvement to learners, their engagement in uh, quality improvement processes uh, improves. Nearly all of the studies that measured changes in knowledge reported a significant improvement in learners' uh, knowledge of uh, quality improvement concepts. Uh, a few articles that assess changes in attitudes uh, it generally reported that uh, learners were more open to using a systems approach for addressing healthcare problems. They were more comfortable with um, uh, large organizations such as HMOs and they were uh, generally more confident in their ability to participate in quality improvement programs. Uh, a few studies uh, and one in particular um, found that learners were more likely to be involved in uh, quality improvement um, Uh, programs as as much as uh, 18 months after the uh, 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 end of the curriculum as compared with uh, control um, uh, clinicians who didn't take the curriculum. In contrast to the uh, relatively positive picture seen in educational outcome, the articles that describe clinical outcomes provide more of a mixed picture. Although none of the articles described uh significant detrimental effects in uh either process measures or patient outcomes uh, the uh about two thirds of the articles um, really described a mixture of no change at all or um or uh few changes but um but uh mixed in, uh, well a few changes mixed in with uh with uh, no improvement we didn't really see a pattern. Uh, related to what kind of clinical condition was studied to explain uh, why um, teaching quality improvement improved um, processes in some areas and not in others. Uh, But we did find other patterns in the way that uh, quality improvement was taught or the um, uh, resources provided to learners, uh, which may uh, explain some of the differences between different uh, curricula. Uh, And and this brings us to our uh, our second question, is the effectiveness of a curriculum associated with use of adult learning principles or with other curriculum features? Uh, And in answering this question, we ultimately found that how quality improvement is taught may be associated with uh, whether or not the the curriculum um, results in uh, improvement in clinical processes or patient outcomes. Most of the uh, curricula that reported poor attendance by learners also reported little improvement in clinical processes. Uh, This doesn't seem too surprising, um, but additionally, there were a few curricula that reported both educational outcomes, that is, changes in knowledge or attitudes, um, and uh, clinical outcomes. And in these uh, curricula, The three which reported improvements in learners' knowledge of quality improvement concepts or improvement in their um, uh, attitudes towards uh, systems-based care uh, also reported uh, improvement in uh, uh, clinical processes such as uh, hemoglobin A1C values or um, uh, uh, documentation of uh, medications. Uh, In contrast, uh, one... uh, one article had described uh, surveying um, uh, learners and non-learners after the curriculum to determine whether or not they had made any organizational changes or uh, changed their behaviors, and um, they found uh, no significant changes between uh, learners and non-learners. And perhaps not surprisingly, again, um, this uh, this curriculum uh, was unable to uh, detect any uh, significant improvement in uh, process measures for. Um, uh HIV care. Um, nevertheless when we um try to count the number of adult learning principles described in these articles um and compare those which used, uh described a lot of uh adult learning principles with uh those which didn't um we didn't find uh any uh difference in uh, in terms of whether or not the uh, curriculum was uh, likely to be effective. Um i don't think that this uh this argues that uh using adult learning principles isn't important rather, I think that we probably um uh were unable to detect any differences uh because of the methods that we used to assess uh uh how adult learning um was applied in terms of other curricular features which may uh, or may not um affect um uh, uh, whether uh, which may or may not be associated with the uh, the outcomes described by these curricula we uh, um also came away with uh four important um features which we feel um are associate which we uh, believe would be associated with uh with uh the likelihood that a curriculum would result in uh improved clinical outcomes uh the first two um are really seen in uh articles which were um written by uh, Doctors Rosenthal and uh, colleagues, and also by uh, Dr. Margolis and, and colleagues. Um, in these uh, articles, uh, they described the program in which teams of 44 different uh, pediatric practices were given the results of an audit to, that described how well they were uh, providing anticipatory guidance and uh, preventative care services to children. Afterwards, half of these teams were randomly assigned to receive pre-developed tools for implementing quality improvement. For example, um, uh, patient reminder cards or um, uh, tools to uh, improve the way that they uh, charted um, uh, their preventive uh, care practices. Um, and they also received uh, monthly visits from uh, quality improvement trained faculty who helped these teams implement um, Uh, quality improvement programs in their own practices. The other half received nothing other than the the results of their audits which said basically you were doing this well um, with the implication that you could be doing this much better. After 12 to 18 months of um, uh, one-on-one training with the uh, quality improvement faculty and uh, with using uh, these tools and any others that they develop, uh, the practices Which had received these tools and and the coaching uh, had had patients which were much more likely to have received anticipatory guidance and preventive care services than those which uh, received audit and feedback only. Similarly, uh, a a curriculum described by uh, Dr. McClellan and others had looked at hemodialysis uh, uh, centers um, and also provided them with uh, the results of audit feedback and a set of uh, quality improvement tools. But in contrast to the, uh, to the two earlier articles, um, the learners in this curriculum w- uh, only received um, ongoing guidance by, uh, by telephone conference calls instead of one-on-one um, uh, uh, visits from the, uh, from the uh, faculty in these uh, in this curricula uh, there were some improvements in uh, certain hemodialysis uh, process measures but certainly not uh, the complete um, package of improvements that were seen in the uh, the two earlier articles uh and so again from these two articles it um we came away with the impression that uh, providing learners with pre-developed quality improvement tools and also access to in-person coaching from uh, quality improvement experts seems to uh, seems to improve the outcomes associated with uh, with teaching uh, clinicians quality improvement. Two other uh, factors which we uh, came away with uh, feeling. Uh, which we uh, which we felt were important, uh, was providing learners with ready access to uh, their performance data on an ongoing basis and uh, teaching learners to use a an incremental um, uh, method for implementing uh, small steps of change. We uh, came away with this impression from comparing uh, two sets of um, uh, quality improvement collaboratives. Uh, the first set of quality improvement collaborators were highlighted by the. Uh, this this the, the first model was highlighted by the articles which were um, written by uh, Doctors O'Connor and others, and also by uh, Doctor Solberg and others. Um, in this uh, uh, it, it, in this quality improvement model, learners were taught to uh, perform a single comprehensive uh, change intervention, where uh, they would get together and uh, decide what um what they needed to uh what kind of problems they needed to address and then they would come back together um a couple weeks later and they would um uh work on uh, uh collecting performance data within their own practices after that they would uh come back a couple weeks later and focus on uh, how to analyze their data and uh so on and so forth uh going through the pro- uh, sort of a single process in which uh they analyzed their data. They developed a new process. A couple months later, they would implement this process. And finally, at the end of 18 months, they would have done one cycle where um, they collected data, analyzed it, implemented it, and evaluated what they did. Um, and after all of this, um, the, uh, the curricula described in these articles did show some improvements before and after. But when compared with, um, with uh, teams that didn't receive any of the... Um, any of this training, uh, the improvements uh, were not significantly greater um, in the uh, in the intervention group than the control group. By comparison, uh, several uh, quality improvement collaboratives, which uh, used the um, IHI's breakthrough model, um, performed something uh, taught learners to uh, um, uh, implement quality improvement in a similar sort of manner. They would get together and um, and learn some basic quality improvement methods, but instead of doing one single change over the course of eighteen or twenty months, uh, learners were basically asked, encouraged to um, to go back to their practices and just immediately begin um, test making some changes in a small area. And if it worked, expanding those changes. If it didn't work, going back to the drawing board and um, and and trying something new. And so. By comparison to the uh, two earlier articles where um, learners implemented one single change over the course of a year and a half to two years, um, the, uh, the learners in uh, some of these other models might uh, have implemented 42 or, uh, or, or more uh, changes in the same time period. Um, in addition, uh, learners in this model were also uh, required to have access to uh, a patient registry which could um, provide them with um, much faster turnaround in terms of the type of data that uh, it basically allowed them to uh, to to uh, test the change and uh, receive relatively quick turnaround time in terms of a uh, uh, feedback to see whether or not their changes um, uh, were successful um, and so from uh comparing these sets of articles uh we uh, again came away with the um, the uh, suggestion that uh, uh, having ready access to performance data and uh, teaching learners to implement incremental, uh, small tests of change instead of a comprehensive change uh, is uh, is important. So, in summary, um, teaching quality improvement to clinicians is not a magic bullet that will solve all of the uh, systems issues in healthcare. Um, However, it does. Uh, the evidence that's available does suggest that uh, when we teach clinicians quality improvement, they're much more likely to become engaged in quality improvement processes and that when they're taught well, that is when they're taught in such a way that they attend, uh, that they learn, um, and that when they're provided with the um, appropriate support systems for uh, implementing um, changes um teaching quality improvement can uh result in uh improvement in uh clinical process measures uh i think i will turn this back over to you chuck and uh see if you have any other additional
1: comments Great. that's wonderful tony i really appreciate the summary it's a it's a very complex area um as we all know uh, with the introduction of the the beginning of the Institute for Healthcare Improvement back in 1991, uh, many of us on the call have been working very hard at these issues uh, since that time. It's been uh, over 15 years now as we've been trying to bring uh, the tenets of quality improvement uh, into uh, clinical care. And Tony, I think this is the first really rigorous, systematic review that anyone has done on the topic, and I think you're really to be congratulated and thanked for that very hard work. It really is a wonderful uh, study and summary of the existing data. Now, I know that uh, lots of folks probably have uh, questions in or comments. I think we should move directly to uh, question and answer. So I'm going to have Kim come back on and give us instructions as to how to get in the queue to ask a question or to give a comment, and uh, and we'll, um, we'll have people uh, uh, go ahead and do that. Kim?
0: Thank you. We will now begin the question and answer session. If you have a question, please press star, then one on your touchtone phone. If you wish to be removed from the queue, please press the pound sign or the hash key. If you are using a speakerphone, you may need to pick up the handset first before pressing the numbers. Once again, if there are any questions, please press star, then one on your touchtone phone, standing by for questions.
1: You know, I think, uh, Tony, there's some really interesting uh, pieces to this. You've really teased out four really strong, I think, recommendations. In-person coaching is important. The provision of tools, uh, the providing of ongoing feedback and and or audit uh, in performing multiple small cycles of change uh, is uh, really sort of a wonderful summary of the lessons. There really are both... I think methodologic issues on how we teach, and there's also content issues. And from an investigational perspective, it is certainly not easy to tease those out.
2: Yes, um, it's it's something that uh, that we certainly ran into um, in the process of conducting this review. Uh, Ideally, we would love to have um, been able to compare uh, precisely how things, uh, how uh, concepts were taught. so excuse me in uh, in a successful curriculum with uh, with how concepts were taught in an unsuccessful curriculum so that we could make much stronger recommendations as to this is how things should be taught uh, unfortunately i think the space limitations in terms of journal articles and and uh, thus resulting in, in limitations of how we can how much information we can extract for a systematic review uh does limit um uh the level of detail that we're able to see sure.
1: Kim.
0: We have a question coming from Marilyn Sizigendi from Northwestern Hospital. Please go ahead.
3: Hi, this is Marilyn Sekende from Northwestern Memorial in Chicago. Um, I think probably any of us who have done quality improvement will agree that you know the easy part is learning how to do is learning the methods. And the hard part is implementing um projects so um it's you know it's not hard to understand how there were um mixed results um in the with the process and uh clinical outcomes have you have you thought about ways to look at um uh, how how effectively um things were uh projects were actually implemented and how this might um affect outcomes
2: um, uh, could you uh
3: Provide me a little bit
2: more with um, with what you mean by um, how things were implemented.
3: Well, I mean, I think that we all recognize that in implementing any kind of a quality improvement project, it typically requires, um, you know, input, resources, cooperation from lots of people. It's not just the individuals who have um, learned and are responsible for implementing the project to um, affect the outcomes it it's typically very complex and re, uh involves the input of a lot of people and um so I, it's i think even people who are expert in uh quality improvement don't always succeed in achieving their their um their their intended outcomes
1: great question yeah, i
3: think
2: yeah that's uh and i think that's actually a wonderful point as well um, some of us actually uh had joked that it's it's kind of like that advertisement for Othello in the past where it's a few minutes to learn but a lifetime to master
3: yes um, it,
2: what in- uh, within the scope of this review I, I don't think that we were able to um to detect that kind of uh that level of detail um, but in a lot of ways uh and I may, I'm sort of straying beyond the scope of what I may be allowed to say. <laughs> but I'll, I'll be a little bit philosophical. And, and in a lot of ways, uh, the concepts of quality improvement are, are pretty are, – well, they're common sense. Um, it's it's just applying common sense. You do something, you see if it works. If it works, you keep doing it. If it doesn't, you know, try something else. Um, and, and I suspect that when it comes down to it uh, – applying this at the practical level, something which uh, you, know, I, you undoubtedly have a lot more experience with than I do, uh, probably comes down to a similar type of common sense. And the uh, challenge for an educator uh, who would like to teach quality improvement to others uh, is how to take those common sense concepts and, and and package them in a way that you can transmit them to, uh, to others who, who haven't quite learned how to do this yet.
3: Right, but there there are so many, it's such a complex process and it requires, you know, cooperation and buy-in and um, having resources to make systems changes um, that may be technological. And um, it's, you know, I think these, these projects, I, I think it's one of the reasons that the most successful ones are the ones that have employed small steps or cycles because those are relatively uncomplicated, but many process improvement projects can be very, um, very demanding.
1: Yeah, sure. Marilyn, I think you're right on target in, in, in your question, and I think it speaks to the difficulties of studying uh, this terrain, yes, yes. Um, especially and,
3: looking at process outcomes and clinical outcomes
1: right you you guys have been obviously involved in this work for a long time. I remember beginning to work with uh, folks who are on some cardiovascular improvement work at your organization well almost ten years ago now, and um you know one of the things that we have frequently done, i think it's still still frequently done in sort of collaborative improvement efforts is to create. Uh, criteria for admission, if you will, applications uh and we try to use those applications to select who we think the better performers will be uh and i've I've been very impressed with all the work that's been done on that uh sometimes really light applications, sometimes very intensive applications with site visits and stuff like that. Despite all that work, it is very difficult because of all the intangibles that, that you pointed out to understand before an initiative is started or before it's well underway, who's going to do well and who's not going to do well, uh, because it is an issue of resources and it's not just an issue of, you know, has has some important person like a CEO or a chair of a department signed on the, the application, but are they really committed <laughs> yeah. and, and are they really going to uh, organize their... Uh, their institution or their department to get the work done. Are they really going to rally the resources and things right. along those lines? And then, there's a lot of intangibles in there, so it's easy to criticize the quality world. Uh, but I think when you look at studies like this and you look at um, all of those inputs, you realize how challenging it is to discern what the what the critical features are. And you've pointed a lot of them out. I think you're right on target. Great. Well, we appreciate your comment. Sure, Kim.
0: Once again, if there are any questions, please press star, then 1, on your touchtone phone.
1: Is there nobody in queue right now?
0: At this time, I show no questions.
1: Okay. Um, Well, you know, I think uh, a lot of the articles that uh, you summarized, Tony, really do go back to the Institute for Healthcare Improvement. Uh, I was proud to have been a a part of that work starting in late 1994. Right when we were moving out of the... uh, the era of teaching courses and believing that teaching courses were the way to change behaviors and really getting into much more of the adult learning theory, which is really what the Breakthrough Series was designed for and and all about, which started, I think, right around 1994 and then took off around 1995. And I think a lot of the things that you've talked about really do have to do, a lot of the lessons that you teased out are really embedded in this collaborative improvement Process that IHI has uh, been so, uh, I think, so bold to define back in those days and is disseminated so widely at this point. I think it's easy to judge and say, you know, um, collaborative improvement does work or doesn't work and try to point to data, but I think your articles really, really, your review of the articles really point out to the difficulty of studying uh, those. Uh, those initiatives, which I think is in part related to how few articles or stringent articles there are published uh, in that regard, because it is hard to tease out a lot of the nuance as to what made a difference and what didn't make a difference.
2: Yes. um, It's – excuse me um, – Raises, I think uh, nice, the thing about um, doing a review like this is it really raises a lot more questions than uh, than it provides answers. Um, in some ways, I was highlighting the things that we felt most strongly about, but there are all kinds of questions that, that come up in terms of whether, uh, so although we can say that well, it, it's effective here, it's not effective there, in this time frame, um, one of the Things that we considered is well, when you take learners for the first time and you give them an opportunity to uh, to work on a project, or uh, for example, when we're training um, uh, a residents to see patients for the first time, uh, you don't expect the uh, the first couple times to go exactly according to plan. Uh, when we take care of patients we we make adjustments for that, but when we're teaching people to perform quality improvement um we assess their uh, their first stab at the uh, um the um uh, t- their first stab at implementing change and on the basis of that we uh, we decide whether or not what we taught was worthwhile uh I, w- I would hope that as the field progresses uh we'll be able to see things with a longer view that is when we uh will teach people uh, quality improvement perhaps they might not um uh demonstrate uh, improvements in the projects that they uh, apply while they're learning, but uh, we'd be able to uh, survey them uh, several years down the line and see uh, whether the the programs that they learned are successful or not.
1: Yeah. I think that is another limitation is how long uh, we wait before we look back. I think a lot of the great organizations that I'm aware of have a different time horizon than the typical study or project time horizon. So uh, they will get involved in things, understanding that from a strategic perspective, they will expect to pay off five years down the road, not necessarily at the one-year time frame in which you hold a collaborative or, not, or or such a project, an improvement project. And so I wonder if uh, part of the limitation that we have is the, the time frame at which we're looking back and saying, has there been sustained improvement or has there not been sustained improvement? Uh, Interesting stuff, and I think we do know that the science of improvement has a long way to go. Linda Hedrick and others associated with the Institute for Healthcare Improvement hold uh, an all-day session on these types of topics at IHI's annual National Forum on Quality Improvement in Healthcare in December and for folks who are interested in that component you could always check out that particular session at uh, IHI's national forum you know one area that this is getting a lot of traction is certainly in in the health professions education particularly residency education Uh, in particular due to the ACGME's uh, six competencies which they put forth about six or seven years ago now which all residencies are supposed to be working on have components in place to uh, to create, and then measure proficiency around the six competencies. And I don't think we want necessarily the conversation to go in that direction, but I know, Tony, you've had done some work with the SGIM, Society for General Internal Medicine, that have focused sort of on curricula for teaching QI in residency programs. Do you want to reflect on that at all?
2: Uh, you know, I, I think that, the, um, well, uh, it certainly could reflect on it, but I, I think it sort of fits into a, a larger picture of um, – of uh addressing what we want from uh, from clinicians uh or, or what we want from our physicians or nurses or other, other healthcare providers um, having the requirement for uh competency in systems based practice and practice based learning improvement which are essentially uh understanding uh and and the ability to uh, implement uh quality improvement projects um is is sort of the uh, uh way to um, address the, uh, the future um, healthcare workforce. Uh, so we the expectation is that uh, by teaching these things to trainees, uh, they will take this with them um, into their practices and 20, 30 years down the line, we'll see the benefits of this. Um, at the same time, though, I think that um, there are many, many programs uh, like the uh, IHI Breakthrough Series, which are uh, trying to impart these uh concepts to uh to practitioners now um it ultimately uh as we try to uh change the way in which healthcare is provided uh hopefully for the better uh it, it will take a multi-pronged approach uh involving both trainees practitioners um maybe one day uh involving patients in the um in the discussion uh, if I could take a tangent i I would say you know one of the things that uh we picked up in the in the detail of um of the results provided was uh we were surprised by how um uh infrequently uh patients were included in uh, in the teams uh even though there was a lot of attempt to make the teams as multidisciplinary as possible uh, many, uh, uh i don't have numbers off the top of my hand, but I would easily say that uh over half, if not two thirds of uh of the curricula um particularly the the uh, quality improvement collaborative curricula uh described teams that included uh, a physician a nurse, um, typically uh, administrators or other healthcare providers but uh but didn't include uh patients and and I wonder from your perspective as somebody who's been doing this for a long time uh whether there have been past attempts to uh to do this.
1: I think it's a great question for the audience and to get the audience engaged in the in that conversation. Let's uh let's let's hang on to that and see if there's anybody else uh in the queue right, right now. Kim?
0: Thank you. We have a question from Christopher Cuss from New York Department of Health.
1: Um yes. Actually I had two questions now because you did talk about the idea of involving patients and we've done some uh, child development learning collaboratives and in have involved patients. It has been somewhat difficult. We had six practices, and only three of them were able to really have an ongoing thing. But, but I guess my my question is is into the res, is related to the residency training aspects of it because you talked about the requirement. Can you comment about now how extensive that training is currently? Are they using similar curriculum, and how might that training? Uh, be the same or different from the ones that you
2: talk about, primary care physicians? Sure. Uh, at the moment, the uh, the, tra- the the accreditation requirements were implemented, although they were uh, developed and published, uh, discussed about six, seven years ago, they were um, put into effect uh, just, what, three, three, four years ago now, uh, in 2003. And at that time, uh, Residencies uh, were held to a standard where in order to maintain their accreditation, they had to demonstrate um, that they were teaching their trainees um, in um, each of six uh, competencies some of these uh some of these medical competencies are things that have been around for a long time such as medical knowledge but uh, some of the, two of the newer ones were uh, concepts called systems based practice and practice based learning and improvement um Systems-based practice you might think of as sort of a, a macroeconomic version of QI where uh, it's, uh, the goal is to understand the healthcare system as a whole, whereas practice-based learning improvement you might think of as a micro-level um, thing that is really exemplified by the uh, the Plan-Do-Study-Act cycle. Um, at the moment, within uh, medical education communities, I, I would say that uh, how best to... or how, how these... Um, Competencies should be uh taught is is still very much up in the air, and uh a lot of uh research and thinking is going into um uh, should they be taught uh in the same way that that we do quality improvement collaboratives is it sufficient to just give a couple of lectures a year um none of these things are are set in stone at this time
1: yeah, great it's a great question. Chris, we really, really appreciate that. And I think, as Tony said, my experiences I think it's just very early on in the evolution of the residency programs, putting programmatic changes in place to really produce a different type of uh, physician at the end of their the residency program a physician that does have both clinical competency and competency in this, the systems issues, which we all know that they need uh, upon matriculation. And the boards, each of the boards, uh, the American Board of Internal Medicine, the American Board of Pediatrics, the American Board of Family Medicine, know that there are more boards than those. But those three main boards are very interested in this as well because we increasingly realize that by the end of residency, it's in, it's nearly impossible to have taught or learned Uh, all of the things that one uh, needs to learn, either in terms of clinical competency or in terms of systems-based competency. And so they see a role for themselves in both the certification and then very quickly the maintenance of certification processes and and, uh, continue to embed these skills, these new proficiencies, these competencies uh, into sort of the physician mindset, culture, skill set uh, all very important stuff, and I think we're in a, a stage of rapid evolution uh, in that regard, as Tony has, has said. And if there are folks on the call who are interested in that topic, I think you can contact the various boards uh, for uh, information on what they are doing. At the American Board of Pediatrics, it would be Paul Miles. At the American Board of Internal Medicine, it would be uh, Eric Hombo, And at the American Board... Of a family medicine, uh, Jim Puffer, and you could always contact me, and I could put you in, in touch with those folks also if you're interested in that topic. Uh, Kim, other uh, anybody else in the queue? We
0: have a question from Jan Simon from American Board Specialist. Please go ahead.
4: Hi, Chuck. Hi,
1: <laughs> hey, Jan. Hi. Good to hear from you. Um,
4: I uh, I have a question about um, the the long haul. Uh, given the fact that some of the short improvement projects. Might show some some process improvement, uh, but not necessarily outcomes of care improvement. Um, I'm wondering how uh, you keep you keep clinicians engaged and hopeful uh, for the long haul. So really about the the continued motivation and sustainability of a project over several years.
1: Janet is just a, a great question. Uh, Jan Simon uh, is with the American Board of Medical Specialties, and Jan is one of the heads of the Improving Performance in Practice initiative, which is uh, widely sponsored by uh, by uh, many national organizations. And uh, Jan has been working with two states to run this Improving Performance in Practice initiative over the last. Uh, I guess it's been, what, a year, year and a half now, Jan, and they have just mm-hmm. selected two additional states, uh, and it's about uh, ambulatory uh, sort of care redesign and performance improvements. So I think your question is quite timely, and Jan just had her first report out from this last Friday in Denver, which I had a chance to talk, and really really was about this topic. How do we move from a project mentality to a much more strategic mentality? And I think it gets at the issue we talked about before, Jan, which is, our tendency to want to measure in a project mode when we we know that most improvement, if you're really going to be a successful organization in the long term, it requires a very different, more strategic perspective. And the real question is, how do you balance your project work with your strategic work? And most organizations get caught up in the project and they frequently lose the strategic perspective and all the strategic changes that they need to make. Um, and we really need to work <clears throat> with uh, those who are involved in whatever improvement initiatives to balance that more short-term strategic or tactical change with the really important, critical, long-term uh, strategic uh, changes that, that uh, individuals and organizations need to make. I think that is the, sort of the framework for your question.
4: Yes, absolutely.
1: But, what, great,
4: great summary. Thank
1: you. <laughs> Tony, any uh. Uh, it's it's hard to tease this stuff out on uh, you know in in studies and in publications and understand what really happened in the intervention uh how good the teaching was did they really have sort of a short-term mindset or are they really looking from a you know, sort of an in a long-term perspective uh any thoughts from your perspective on that
2: uh you know one of the um one of the things that we came across was how much more developed the um, clinical measurements are than the educational measurements are for uh, quality improvement. Um, it and I guess that's that's because uh, uh, the clinical measurements um, are, are things that are, are already in, in uh, are used in practice and uh, and uh, have have had um, long use. But to determine whether or not uh, learners um, truly have a, a good grasp of um, uh quality improvement concepts in terms of knowledge or or whether their attitudes um or mindset are appropriate uh, these things are not um fully developed yet and i know that certainly uh, at the american board of internal medicine uh there's a lot of work going on for developing um more valid assessment tools to uh to measure things like knowledge or or uh, attitudes um, and I suspect that there would um be similar uh, efforts going on elsewhere. It seems to me that 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 may ultimately be um how we assess uh outcomes for at least training programs um, i i it's It's hard to expect that um that you would assess whether or not learners uh that, whether or not medical students or residents understood quality improvement well uh based Solely on whether or not um, their uh, documentation, whether you know their projects were successful um, during their residency, because residents don't have as much um, uh, influence over their uh, local organizations as uh, one might hope that a uh, you know a chair of medicine might be you know thirty years down the line. Um, but if we can assess uh, in a reliable and valid way whether or not learners have picked up the uh, the right Mindset for for practicing medicine in, in, in the 21st century, then that might really be sufficient, and and I think that 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 seems to be where uh, where um, you were leading us.
1: Yeah, I I think that's right. It's it's a uh, it's a great question, and I appreciate your response, also, Tony. The I, I think that we are we remain challenged, uh, Jan, to measure some of the things on the strategic side. Uh, mm-hmm. So most of the measures are really focused on the short-term clinical outcomes as opposed to measuring more strategic changes in organizational management, structure, culture, things like that, which are difficult to tease out but critically important factors in an organization's improvement capabilities. And then um, Marilyn, I think, said it earlier. Uh, She said it's relatively easy to teach the QI methods, and I both agree with that, and I, I am at the same time oftentimes struck by how poorly we still do improvement work, while it seems like the model for improvement in small uh, scale tests of change and which is the clinical which really is the scientific method in clinical practice, while it seems like that makes sense it's it seems to be really challenging for folks to understand how to do that in real practice so uh, with so many organizations, you go in and you you look for those really rapid tests of change and you don't see them. You see organizations planning bigger bigger tests of change and waiting for the big solution or planning for the big solution. But I don't see as much really true rapid cycle testing and learning as I, I would have thought 10, 10 years ago that we would see today in the year 2007. So I do think we're we're still challenged to understand how to really do rapid cycle improvement, how to really apply the scientific method into practice, and I do th- also think we're, we're we're challenged in understanding how to measure some of those more strategic things. Jan, mm-hmm. from your perspective, having been involved in this work for now for a long time, how would you answer your own question? <laughs>
4: well, I I think all of all of what you've said is true. I would agree with it. I think that. Um, Uh, You know, I appreciate the fact that that residency programs are now teaching these concepts because they didn't 20 years ago. And uh, the next crop of clinicians is going to be a lot more comfortable, I think, with doing small tests of change. Um, uh, I think that um, what we're finding in our project uh, is something that Tony mentioned earlier, and that is having having, uh, quality improvement coaches or experts going into the practice to To model and demonstrate and kind of do a little hand holding while people get started is important. Um, but I think that the long term sustainability, uh, you know, has to be has to be balanced with some sort of short term successes so that people start start to see the light at the end of the tunnel. Absolutely. And and that's what is sometimes hard to do. Sure. So um, I know in one practice that we worked with, they did do a small test of change. Uh, uh, on several measures of process for uh, for care of diabetes, and they used they tested it on a small group of their po- total population, and they had great results. And now they're motivated to go ahead and spread that to the rest of the practice.
1: Yeah, yeah, good stuff. Well, uh, we have time for, for I think one more question. If there's anybody in the queue, Kim. Thank you.
0: We have a question from Kathleen Stevens from University of Texas.
5: Thank you very much. This has to do with the general mindset and whether or not you have got gleaned any information about, um, rather than how to teach uh, quality improvement, but what to teach. Again, we're back on the content issue. But one particular area of content has to do with uh, working in a high risk um, industry such as healthcare, and at the same time promoting innovation and/or adoption of innovation. And with innovation exchanges being built by the federal government, I wonder if you could share what you saw in across the curriculum uh, in your systematic review about this content area.
1: Good question. Really, really, uh, I think uh, interesting question. Tony, any thoughts on that?
2: Oh uh, well, sir. Um, actually, I, I'd be curious to see what you have uh, if you have thoughts on this, Chuck. Given the uh, the
1: time. Um, yeah, I, I am. Um, uh, I think an important question is that uh, gets at this question, Kathleen, and it's a two-part question. One is sort of about the methodology and content. The other is about about the innovation. The I think we're uh, we're still not. We still don't feel necessarily particularly comfortable as to what should be in the foreground. Should the quality improvement methodology be in the foreground? Or should it be in the background? Should the the clinical content be in the the foreground? I still believe that a large number of physicians have an allergic reaction to the quality improvement stuff, if you will, the PDSA cycles and things like that, which is why uh, I try to frame it as much in terms of the scientific method, something that they would feel more rooted in and more comfortable with having a conversation about. I don't know that it... Uh, that there is literature to support that difference, but to me, it seems like an important difference. I know Paul Batalden and others talk about having the content in the foreground, the quality improvement methodology in the background, uh, teaching it, but teaching it uh, within the context of the clinical improvement that that uh, you're trying to make. And I think that is an important distinction. I don't think that we can tease out that level of detail in terms of how the teaching actually occurred in the studies that Tony reviewed but I think it's a really important point. Do you have thoughts on that, Kathleen?
5: Well, I'm just curious as to um, should teaching people how to be healthcare improvement innovators and our early adopters uh, is seen as a high priority in in our current uh, movement.
1: Well, I don't know that teaching them to be uh, improvement innovators uh, with the, with the emphasis on innovation is necessarily a priority, but I do think that Teaching them to be system-minded and system uh, to have knowledge about systems and how to measure systems and how to think about systems is really important. So it is the case today that when you go and talk to most residents, uh, uh, while they're getting bits and pieces of this in medical school, they don't come in with a high degree of knowledge and understanding about healthcare care as a system. And uh clinical outcomes as the result of systems as opposed to individual individual actions, I do have confidence that if we can build a mass of system thinkers and people who are more facile. At managing systems and thinking about system improvement and driving system improvements in their clinical space, be it an ambulatory practice, be they a specialist versus a primary care physician, be it in the in the hospital as a hospitalist or an ICU, as we build up that capacity, I do think that innovation in in improvement methodologies will come out of that. Uh, and but I think the foundation is to. Build up this critical mass of clinicians, physicians, nurses, phys- physicians' assistants, and lots of other folks who have those skills supported by quality improvement uh, personnel and in, in their organizations. Uh, and if we create that foundation, I think that's where the innovation is, is going to come from.
2: I, I would support that as well. Um, Great question. We yeah. weren't able to collect um, data on specific content. Um, uh, Uh, well, specific content components uh, for the vast majority of the articles. But part of the reason we got started down this road in in performing the review is because uh, just from personal experience and and, uh, from the the sort of uh, editorial-type literature out there, there is a great desire among um, clinicians, uh, certainly trainees, uh, to uh, fix the world around them um yeah you know, i i think that uh within residencies uh most people would recognize that residents have become masters of the workaround. uh something doesn't quite work right in their in their world and so they figure out a way to get around it um, uh in anything to uh to take care of their patients and and get their patients home uh what we're really trying to do with uh with teaching folks quality improvement is to allow them a, uh, provide them with a standard set of skills so that rather than doing a workaround that uh, applies only in one particular instance or a few particular instances, this is something that can be implemented in a way that changes, uh, that, that essentially addresses a systematic problem uh, now and into the future for, uh, for anyone who would encounter this problem down the line. Um, so as a question of uh, what residents should be learning, I, I would summarize and say that I don't think that there's a specific, um, uh, there certainly isn't data at this point as to uh, whether they should be learning the uh, attitudes or uh, uh, conceptual type uh, issues or whether they should be learning um, uh, um, uh, concrete issues such as how to do a PDSA cycle, uh, but I suspect that some combination of both are, are important.
1: Great stuff. Well, Tony, once again, really appreciate uh, your hard work in presenting this systematic review to us and all the work it took to put this study together. We look forward to much more of your work down the line. And I'd like to thank you, the participants, for joining us today. Just as a reminder, uh, the next author in the room call is scheduled for November 21st at 2 o'clock p.m. Eastern Time. The topic was published in... The article was published in today's JAMA, October 17th, 2007 by Dr. Uh, Monina Clevins, Invasive Methicillin-Resistant Staphylococcus Aureus Infections in the United States. As a reminder, Author in the Room is sponsored by the Journal of the American Medical Association and the Institute for Healthcare uh, Improvement. Author in the Room is an interactive conference called Designed to Accelerate Changes that Can Improve Clinical Care. Thanks to each of you for joining us today, and good day.
0: Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. This concludes today's conference. Thank you for participating. You may all disconnect.